0: Welcome and welcome back to the Blazers for Goalposts. I'm joined as usual by my co-host Joe and our good friend Yanni is back with us again today too. In recent episodes, we've discussed several of the major top flight European leagues as well as Major League Soccer in America where I live. Something that's quite uniquely English though is the sheer depth of competitive league play that domestic football in England has to offer. From the Premier League to the Football League right through to non-league football, the intensity of the play and the passion of the fans is impressive. I'd like to quote Canadian rapper Drake for a moment, who said, started from the bottom. Now, I can't confirm whether or not he was talking about non-league football, but we certainly will be today, and joining us for that conversation is today's guest, who is an expert on non-league football, to say the least. Joe will be introducing him properly soon, but along with today's theme, for our mini intros, we're each going to be mentioning a memorable non-league game that we've been to. Regrettably, I haven't had the pleasure of attending a non-league game, so I'm more interested in what you guys have to say in that regard, but what I will say is that There's a very tangential family tie to Boreham Wood, so I guess Meadow Park is my spiritual home. Joe, can you tell us about a non-league game that you've been to?
1: Hello, everyone. Yes, Kai, I can tell you about a non-league game I've been to. And probably my favourite non-league game that I've been to actually took place in the Midland Football League. This was back in 2015, and it was when the newly formed Hereford FC beat Rochester 4-0. It was a brilliant day at Edgar Street. Today, we're pleased to welcome Ollie Bayliss to the show. Ollie presents the non league show on BBC Radio Three Counties. And whilst his focus is on mainly the local teams, you could perhaps say he is non league's answer to Gary Lineker. However, aside from the non league show, Ollie is also a commentator, as well as a researcher for probably my favourite game of all time football manager. Ollie. I'd imagine you've been to a few non-league games, but is there any that particularly stand out for you? Maybe what's your favourite non-league game you've ever been to?
2: Hi, chaps. Uh, my pleasure to be with you, first of all. Um, just talking about Boreham Wood a moment ago, actually probably, probably is one of the most memorable games. Probably their, their one and only trip to Wembley. I was lucky enough to be there two years ago for the National League playoff final. And it was my first experience of commentating at Wembley. It was on my 29th birthday as well. So, kind of all of those factors combined made it pretty memorable. Unfortunately, maybe not so memorable from a Wood point of view. They were beaten 2 1 in the final that day, unfortunately. It didn't go up into the Football League. But perhaps that game is, is made my most memorable and most excited I've been, I think, to commentate on a non league game. A game with such high stakes and being at Wembley as well was fantastic.
3: Hi, everyone. It's Yonny here. I'd like to take you back to the 29th of November 2016 when the mighty Woking hosted Bromley FC. It was a game 1-2-1 by Woking, capped by a really beautiful winner in the 81st minute by Fabio Sariva. But the thing I remember most about that game is it being a really, really freezing evening and getting the kind of maybe greasiest, but also best burger at half time just to kind of warm me up for the second half. And yeah, a very cold winter's evening down in Woking. And I was there because... A friend from uni lives nearby, and another friend from uni supports Bromley, so it's just the sort of perfect non-league game to attend, really.
1: At the time of recording, the National League playoffs are just days away, and there are three huge matches that await us. Firstly, we've got Boston versus Altrincham in the National League North. We've then got Weymouth versus Dartford in the National League South. And then finally, the big one, Notts County versus Harrogate. And that's for a place in the Football League. Ollie, if you were a gambling man, who would you be backing in each of these three huge matches? Well, that's a difficult one.
2: I mean, I, I made predictions at the start of the playoffs with the six teams. I think every team I backed in each of the leagues has now gone out, if it's <laughs> right in the very first round. So... If I was a gambling man, I'd have lost a lot of money already. <laughs> I would say I, I saw Harrogate in the last round beat Borenwood and they're a really good passing side. They're a really good footballing side. Uh, they're obviously second in the league for a reason. Uh, Played good football all season you know, narrowly missed out on that automatic promotion spot as it was decided on points the game. So I think I would back them. I think they'd be my, my tip to beat Maltz County. But these games are over 90 minutes. It's a one-off game behind closed doors. It's a flip of a coin in reality, but... If you're going to pin me down to a <laughs> to one, I'm going to say Harrogate, which probably means they'll lose. In the other two divisions, Boston United have been going well. And in the National League North, National League South, the, the highest ranked team gets to host the game, which is going to give them a little bit of an edge. I think I'm right to saying Boston United's final game in their stadium as well, York Street, which I think will add a little bit of extra motivation and, and sense mentality. So I'm going to go Boston United. And then to mix it up a little bit, let's go Dartford as well. Again, I think that's a flip of a coin, Dartford against Weymouth
1: for that one. Nice. Well, I'll be putting my accumulator on now, but maybe I'll go <laughs> <for> the opposite.
0: <laughs> Boston United, that takes me back to Soccer AM and Boston goals. With the, I mean, speaking of your career as a commentator, there was some pretty good commentary that they would do on that if you've seen it. But Ollie, you do work for Football Manager, as we were referencing earlier, a game that holds a really special place in many football nerds' hearts, including, including my own. Besides being a lot of fun to play, the game is you know, notorious for how immersive the experience can be and also for the sheer magnitude of the player database, so thorough even that some professional clubs have been using Football Manager as an alternative scouting network for some time now. So Ollie, has your experience with Football Manager and kind of the statistically dense approach that it takes to football media, has that affected the way that you rate certain players in real life? And what do you make of some clubs' use of the game's resources for
2: scouting? I mean, I think you're spot on in what you're saying and how brilliant it is and the depth of it. I mean, I personally use it for, for commentary. I think it's one of the best ways to prep for a game, especially if you've got one of the face packs or one of the you know, the slightly dodgy download face packs where you can see all the players. It's a really useful tool for looking through a, an opposition team that maybe you don't know as well and seeing what players look like and then getting those stats about height and, and weight and things like that are really helpful when you're trying to identify players running around on a football pitch you know, there's there's two centre backs and one is six foot five and the other is five foot eleven. You know which one's which going into the game, that's fantastically helpful. And the history as well. I know they put a lot of time and effort into their career history and the clubs that they've previously paid for. I think it's normally is the most accurate source of player information going into any season. So from that point of view alone, I, I use it a huge amount. I'm lucky enough to help contribute and to do some of the non league stuff for them. And I know that the Although some of the clubs aren't playable clubs below the sort of National League North and South, put a huge amount of effort into trying to try and get those player stats right as well and to go right down the league. That is a brilliant database for journalists to use, football clubs to use, and of course makes it a brilliant and immersive game as well, doesn't it? So many real life players that, that you can sign for your club. And I'm sure you'll all share the experience of managing a club and signing players you've never heard of, and then you see them in real life or you see them you know, pop up in the Football League and, you know, you've got that little bit of, I don't know, you give yourself sort of a little pat on the back that you spotted them first and, you know, you effectively scouted them in the Football Manager before any real-life scouts recognise them.
0: Yeah, I feel like we've all claimed to have been the one to have found a certain actual wonder kid who's ended up becoming like a multi-million pound signing or something eventually, but it was people like you, I suppose, putting in the, the legwork so that we could claim that fame. But otherwise, on how you view players when you're coming up with this stat, like one through 20, can you like look at a player, see his first touch and be like, oh, he's got 12 first touch. Or like see a guy take a sprint and be like, oh, he's probably got 17 pace, maybe like 18 acceleration here or something like that.
2: Yeah, there's kind of restraints in terms of what league the player is in and they try and sort of balance it out so that they don't let all sort of us researchers go rogue and decide that there's a player playing in the Southern Division 1 that could make Barcelona squad straight away. Obviously there's sort of potential of the players and there's young players and and that's probably the most challenging part of a researching for the game and being a football scout and you know it's one of the, the trickiest things about football is that you look at a young player and knowing where that limit is and knowing how good they can ultimately be is, is pretty difficult it's why scouts have such a difficult job and you know why, why there's so much money in in getting football recruitment right I think that's the biggest challenge that's the biggest challenge I think the game has it's, it's one thing to say okay that player's quite good at that or that player's scoring 20 goals a season, his finishing must be 14 or whatever. It's another thing to say, well, he's at this level at the moment, but given the right coaching and the right development and the right playing opportunities, he could become this good, this good, or this good. And that's really difficult. And more often than not, I think the game tends to get that right. They've, you know, they've had a few sort of world-round flops, I think, You know, where they've got it wrong, but then they've got an awful lot right. I think, I think Messi as a 16-year-old in the game was turned out to be pretty good and they got that right.
0: Yeah, that's going way back. Yikes. Um, Ollie, you
3: mentioned there about commentary and sort of sometimes having to commentate on players you don't necessarily know an awful lot about. And honestly, commentary is something that sort of always fascinated me a bit. You know, I don't know if it's just me, but growing up playing football manager or FIFA, I would often like transpose my own commentary over the words of Martin Tyler over the screen. But I wanted to know, what is it like to actually commentate on a live game? And beyond, you know, knowing things about the players, what do you think the role of a good commentator is?
2: It's really difficult. I think it's the hardest thing I've ever tried to do in radio and broadcasting, but it quickly becomes easier. It's like it's everything. It's about practice. The most challenging bit is, is player identification is knowing who the players are. You can do that off the top of your head. You're 50, 60, 70% of the way there. And with non-league, that's certainly a challenge because, as I'm sure we all know, it's it, research for non-league is not so straightforward. Formations are not always so straightforward. It's, and it's a different skill, but it's another thing to be able to look at, you know, a Man United against Arsenal game. And you kind of know the players off the top of your head. You know the formation. It's another thing, a course to three for a non-league game where you've got a rough team sheet on Twitter and there's no squad numbers and you've got no idea how the team's going to line up. And so player identification is, is one of the most difficult things in commentary. And in terms of what, what makes a good commentator, and I think TV commentary is something I haven't really done a huge amount of. But for a good TV commentator, I think it's, it's often not speaking a lot. Often the pictures and the atmosphere can say the words that you don't need to. If you, if you look at that Martin Tyler famous Aguero final minute win of Man City, following the, the Aguero moment, I think you can count about eight, 10 seconds of silence where he just, he and his summarizer say nothing and just let the viewers soak up the atmosphere and what's happened. And then he comes back with those punchy one-liners about, you know, soak it all in the ever seen scenes like this. I'm doing a disservice. It's not quite what he says, but do you know what I mean? It's those fantastic lines, but what's equally as good is the moment he says nothing and just lets the pictures and the sound, tell their own stories radio commentary is slightly different because you haven't got the pictures so to a point you're saying maybe three times as much if ever you you're watching a football game and you have the option to flick on radio commentary over it you'll notice just how much more commentators are having to say and they're having to paint a picture and they're having to say where the ball is the whole time whereas tv of course you don't have to do that but even then just letting the pace sometimes drop is something that i'm still learning to do where you can just let the atmosphere and not so much at the moment because we're behind closed doors and there isn't any. But you let the atmosphere just, just take a moment or two, and it doesn't always have to be fifty miles an hour. And actually, if you listen to good radio commentators, you don't even need to listen to them say where the ball is or even the words they're saying. Just the pace and the energy that they're commentating with it gives you an idea of how near the ball is to either goal, how likely it is the goal is going to be scored, just by the way they, they pick up their energy and then will drop it again as the chances miss. And you know it's a goal kick or a throw-in, so they'll sort of drop the energy and talk about something else and so much of it is in tone and excitement and letting the sound speak for themselves I think both in tv and radio commentary and it's still very much something I'm trying to learn and get much better at
3: sure do you have like a a favorite piece of commentary or one that comes to mind
2: or when you hear it kind of gives you goosebumps or anything like that I think just mentioned it a minute ago I think that that Aguero moment is is certainly fantastic I think Martin Tyler is is I know not, he's not everyone's commentator. I think he's absolutely top of his game in terms of commentary. And it's those big moments that commentators are ultimately really judged on because those goals that we've shown time and time again. And I've done it as a commentator myself where you can have a brilliant 89 minutes of commentary, but what they're trying to clip is the goal. And the goal is a far post header from a corner and you can't see who scored it and you can completely fluff it. And you know, you make a real mess of it. And it's really good commentators rise to those moments. Those moments are when they, they don't stumble over their words and they come up with the exact lines to sum up the mood and t- the moment. And yeah, I think Martin Tyler is, is top of his game for doing that.
3: What about you, Joe and Kai? Is there anything that you, uh, you
0: love watching back for those reasons? I, I spoke about it on an earlier episode when we covered the uh, 2010 World Cup in South Africa. And I could think longer and harder and probably come up with some others, but that commentary for Shipway Shabalala's inaugural African World Cup goal, I like that. I like that a lot. And I think similarly to what Ollie was mentioning, there's a lot not left to the imagination because you can hear the atmosphere and stuff, but there's a lot of silence besides the natural sounds from within the stadium. And I think that is one of the reasons why I like it as well. You kind of have to decide how you emote and like relate to the situation without letting the commentator tell you how to feel. And yeah, that was part of the beauty of that goal. What about you, Joe?
1: I mean, probably the funniest one ever was Gary Neville with the Fernando Torres (laughs) <laughs> goal. But I don't know if that's my that's maybe a memorable one just because it was obviously such a dramatic moment, but it was also I do remember watching that and being like, What the hell? <laughs> when Neville did that. Um but then from a biased point of view as a Spurs fan, when Lucas Mora got the winning goal against Ajax. Not that I can say I remember the commentary when it went in as I was going a bit crazy, but listening back it well, that was a nice moment. I forget which BT commentator that was, but it was he he captured it pretty well. Um, to be fair to him there's I mean there's so there's so many great moments but like, I guess as a commentator you're just you're just hoping when it finally comes around that you just nail it and it becomes your kind of crowning glory I feel I feel
0: some pressure to reclaim now that Joe's mentioned a Spurs goal I'm, I'm gonna throw one in there now which is the the commentary from Michael Thomas's uh league winning goal at Anfield back in the day that I think that's probably one of the first obviously it happened before my lifetime but as a kid I heard that and Again, like I said, I wasn't even born, but just listening to the commentary, you can, you can kind of imagine how special that moment was. Yeah. So um, just to yeah, stick a flag, an Arsenal flag in the, in the ground for a moment here.
3: I'll stick another one to make it 2-1 to, to the Gunners, And say, uh, in the Invincible season, when Arsenal beat Leeds 5-0, I think it's Thierry Henry's fourth goal. And he sort of runs through the whole Leeds defence. And I think Martin Tyler just says, electrifying, electrifying. Which is the power of repetition. And then Andy Gray says something. I think commentary is always helped by good co-commentary. And that was an example of that.
2: Potentially the less said about Andy Gray the better at this point. Fair. <laughs> I think another another one just on the topic of BT sport as well. Um, Peter Drury, that that Rome last minute winner against Barcelona as well, the, the last header is, is superb. Oh yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. Manalas, a Greek god in Rome and that fantastic. And again, <laughs> you know, it's not like it's a striker who you're expecting to score in that game, to have either have pre thought through that line or to have enough about you to in that moment come up with that line is genius. You know, they, they were what? Porn of down at the start of that time. There's no way you could have foreseen it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a great centre-back scoring in the last minute. But through. But that whole, there's sort of a minute, minute and a half at the end of that game is superb and well worth watching back if anyone hasn't seen that.
3: So now it's time for... Ooh, uh, yeah! The footballer guessing game. And this week both of my choices have played in non-league football at some point in their career. My first player, I'll give you two clues for him. One is that he has played in the non-league and also every single football league and the Premier League. And the second is that he has also played for a team in India.
1: Ooh, is he British? Yes. Okay, I guess that doesn't, doesn't narrow much down. Um, is he a striker?
3: He is not a striker. Uh,
1: okay. Did he play in the Premier League when he was still
0: you know, relatively youthful, or did it take him a while to make it?
3: He probably played in the Premier League at his peak. Okay. Relatively young, not as a youth player.
0: Was he a central midfielder? He wasn't. Okay. <laughs> We're off to a good start. He never made it on like an international stage?
3: No, he didn't.
1: Was he mainly like a championship player or a League One, League Two kind of guy? or What, what are we talking about? Like... It,
3: I'm trying to do the maths now. Um, I'd say he played most of his games probably in the championship, but similar amount in the Premier League. Right. At think... least Premier League is where he's pretty well known for.
1: It's not Southampton, is it? It's a Premier League club. It's
3: not. He has played for three different clubs in the Premier League.
1: Has he... Is he playing the Champions
2: League?
3: No, he hasn't.
2: God. Who did you think? I think thinking Jermaine Pennant.
3: Oh. Uh, he played in India, did you say? He, yeah, he played 11
2: games in India in 2015. See, Teddy Sheringham's son, Charlie Sheringham, has, I'm sure, <laughs> played in India once or twice. Um, and has played in non-league, but hasn't played in the Premier League, I'm sure of it.
3: No, it's not, it's not Charlie Sheringham. I'm just looking this up. The Indian Professional Football Club is no longer in existence. Um, ah. I think it was a short-lived project. from the of a shame, it. Yanni,
1: because if you'd been able to have named the... <laughs> I'm sure we would have gotten it off of that. Could you give us one of those Premier League teams or maybe the team he's most associated with?
3: That's, again, a difficult one for the biggest association, though. One of the teams is Wolverhampton Wanderers. Oh. And he was...
0: Oh, okay, wait, maybe Michael Kitely?
3: Not Michael Kitely, but same era.
1: Are we talking... George Ellicobi?
3: Not George Ellicobi.
1: Goalkeeper.
3: Not a goalkeeper. A there winger. can only be a couple of positions left.
0: He's a winger. He's a winger.
3: No, Not a winger, no. Oh,
0: wait, 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 wait. Oh, wait, you said he's not a striker, okay.
3: <laughs> I think there's only one position you haven't...
1: <laughs> a centre-back?
3: He's a centre-back, yeah.
1: Okay. Is he known for painting? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't think so. so Maybe, but jody
1: Craddock is a bit of a pain. Oh,
3: is he? So. I had no idea. Uh, um, no, so but the, he's probably he, played alongside jody Craddock at some point. Is he
1: English or is Scottish? He is English. Okay. English. What is going? Uh, uh, oh, Roger. Oh, I know. I know who it is actually.
3: Kai. Um, what do you say?
1: All right, Roger Johnson, who
0: famously showed up to Wolverhampton Wanderers training drunk once or Hunklewood <laughs> at the very least. I remember that being a story. He was a brilliant player at Cardiff and Birmingham and not so much at Wolves, but oh
2: well.
3: Yes, he, he was He was good. And the, the team in India he played for is Pune City. Oh. Um, 11 appearances, no goals, Wikipedia tells me.
2: Who but... is the non-late club?
3: So he played for Bromley for the last couple of years. Um, I think he retired now, or he's a free agent, not retired. But oh, 2017, cool. 2019, he was kind of a stalwart in Bromley's relative rise
0: going back to football manager when i look at a center back i look at strength jumping heading tackling and marking and uh, all of those were above 15 i can guarantee that on roger johnson so bargain
3: and also i think captained wolves to two consecutive relegations
1: yeah that he did
3: the next player i am going to give you two clues for he has played for Eight teams that have been in the Premier League at some point, but only two of them while they were in the Premier League. And in one of those seasons, arguably scored one of the best and most underrated Premier League goals of all time.
0: Was that quite a long time ago,
3: maybe? Well, it depends what you mean by long time ago. It was over a decade ago.
1: Hmm.
3: Another Englishman? Not English. Although he was born in another country, but I think from the looks of it, sort of his entire career began and ended in England. Okay.
0: Not Yannick Bellassi.
3: Is uh. it a
1: Caribbean country? It is. Okay. Is he a striker?
3: He is a
0: striker.
1: Oh, I think I might have it, but... I'm
3: I've
0: got a name in my head, but I don't think he's played for eight Premier League teams.
3: So he's... They're, they're teams that have been in the Premier right. League, but... All
1: right. Yeah. Look, did he play for... Wigan and Blackburn? No. Oh, okay. So it's not Jason Roberts then. I can rule that. It's not it's not the
3: Grenadian Jason Roberts?
1: Yes. Has this guy played for Bolton and
0: Stoke, amongst other teams?
3: He's played for one of them, but not both.
0: Oh, well maybe And he's he's played for Stoke. Okay, is it is it Ricardo Fuller?
3: It is Ricardo Fuller. Uh,
1: There we go.
3: All right. (laughs) Do you know the goal I'm
0: talking about? Sort of,
1: yeah. Was it? A v- um, actually,
0: maybe no. I don't. You just take but... it around like a few players. Was it one where he like takes it around a few players and then?
3: Not so much take it around. I think it's in Stoke's first season in the Premier League, and he receives a kind of just a straight ball to feet. He flicks it over Martin Lawson's head,
0: maybe. Oh uh, yeah, I think. And I'm... then
3: finishes from like an impossible angle. I think yeah, Brad yeah. Friedel's the goalkeeper.
0: You like channel? It's just you know for a moment, sort of.
3: Yeah, kind of. And yeah, it's that, that kind of quite cliche thing. But if Bergkamp had scored that goal, maybe people would remember it a bit more <laughs> than they do Ricardo Fuller.
2: Yeah, put some respect on Ricardo Fuller's name. <laughs> <laughs> he's still playing, isn't he? Or he he was playing last season somewhere in the
3: league. Well, yeah, he's spent. he is still playing for Nantwich Town. That's his non-league affiliation. Um, after a brief spell with Tivoli Gardens in the two thousand and one two thousand and two season, which I'm told is a an all Jamaican team based in South London, cool. Um, That's really
0: cool. So I can't I can't play for them <laughs> <laughs> unless you've got a Jamaican <laughs> great <laughs> I you, No, unfortunately, I'll have to get on um whatever that site is when you send in your DNA to find oh, out. Ancestry.com. Yeah. <laughs> journey from non-league to Premier League is an extremely difficult and unlikely one. Jamie Vardy has somewhat stolen the limelight when it comes to this particular narrative and fair dues. The guy is an absolute goal machine who supposedly runs on Red Bull and Port Wine, but as usual I digress. There aren't too many of them, but a decent number of other players have made that same transition from playing in non-league once upon a time to gracing the Premier League. We'll be mentioning a few of them first. I want to start to talk about the legend that is Grant Holt. He's played for five different non-league clubs, either side of a career in the Football League and the Premier League, and he actually still plays for one. They're called Roxham, and they're known as the Yachtsmen. Fans of luxury boats, look no further for your new non-league team. Grant Holt has had quite the career. He started at Workington and then moved on to Halifax Town, who strangely no longer exists under that name. He then went on loan to a club in Australia for a month before spending that same summer playing for a professional team in Singapore, all of which just sounds very gap year to me. He was meant to sign with his local team, Carlisle, upon his return, but they went into administration. So what did Grant do? He moved to non-league club Barrow and also took up a, a part-time job in a local factory. At Barrow, he made a name for himself. And then from there, he got a move to Sheffield Wednesday, who were in Division One at the time, currently the equivalent of the EFL championship today. Did not work out for Holt at Hillsborough. He would then yo-yo between a few of the different football league divisions with different clubs over the next few years until after a brilliant season with Shrewsbury, he was signed by Norwich, where he would lead them to -to back-to-back promotions, the opposite of Roger Johnson, and finally reach the promised land of the Premier League some 12 years after he signed for his first non-league club, Workington. So Holt would continue to perform admirably for Norwich in the top flight, becoming a bit of a club legend at Carrow Road and somewhat of a cult figure amongst the wider footballing audience for his robust and committed style of play. He has played for a few other Premier League clubs and has since returned to non-league football. But rather than talking more about that instead, we need to mention Grant Holt's career as a professional wrestler. Bizarrely, back in 2018, Holt linked up with the WAW, World Association of Wrestling, and took part in a 40-man Royal Rumble fight. So he's not the first footballer to make this career switch. Actually, famously, a Bremen shot stopper and absolute unit Tim Weezer managed to break into the WWE some years back. So on that note, I do want to hear what you guys have to say about Grant Holt, but I'm also curious to know who you think might be the next footballer to become a professional wrestler. Ollie, how about we start with you?
2: Um, Next footballer to become a professional wrestler? Well, I wouldn't want to get into a ring with Wicker Wanderers, striker, Akin Femworth, certainly. Um, (laughs) Having... Um, interviewed him a couple of times, sort of post Wickham games. He is twice the size in real life as he, as he looks on telly. Um, lovely, absolute gentle drive. You know, kindest, nicest bloke and, you know, superb leader on and off the pitch. But, I mean, that's pure muscle, that guy. If you watch him go up headers, he's not even that tall. He's just so much muscle, so much strength, and not can get anywhere near him. So, yeah, Baywack and Fenworth. There's definitely a career in post football in wrestling. I mean, he's already got his sort of fitness brand, doesn't he? So, yeah, I I could see that happening. And then on on Grant Holt, what do you make of sort of his
0: rise from Football League to Premier League? And like I've said, he's back in the Football League um, these days. But otherwise, I suppose more on his style of play, it's not uncommon. Well, it's uncommon to find a player make that journey. But it, once they have, it's not uncommon necessarily to find them be the type of player who is successful more so maybe for their uh, energy and their commitment because you know none of us are going to say that Grant Holt's a Ronaldinho he's not a technically gifted footballer in that sense but like I said he's a unit and he he put himself about what do you sort of make of that kind of opinion maybe of players who have risen through from the lower leagues or do you find yourself commentating and watching players in non-league football who are silky players and you know can move with the ball and uh, manipulate the ball?
2: There's a a real mix of both, aren't there? I think increasingly it's becoming harder and harder to to stay in the football league or in the the professional game if you're an academy product and there's a huge amount of sort of really technically gifted players that perhaps haven't quite got the experience and been given the opportunity to to get that experience in the football league and it's a pretty cutthroat industry and managers want players that are ready to go because managers get such a sort of short stint if they don't get results right they're, they're not looking at player development bringing players through for three years time they're looking at getting results now so I think for that reason often players drop out of the football league who, who've got plenty of talent plenty of technical ability and then what I love about non-league is you kind of mix that with the, these players who perhaps aren't as talented aren't as technical but sort of got all the know-how and or maybe got the sort of the strength and, and got the bulk and they, they know how to use their ability to well get the best out of the sort of slightly limited ability maybe they have and sometimes we we see players that sort of rise to the, the top of the Premier League game who I'm not saying Grant Holt isn't a good technical footballer but sometimes you, you see players like that or you're sort of you, you're Ricky Lamberts, you, you, you're players like that who are clearly hard work and Jamie Vardy to a point has done that I mean clearly he's a very talented player but a lot of it is through through hard work and determination and that kind of I think almost every football, professional footballer has a winning mentality, but like that extra level of just, you know, 120% to use an awful cliche of just determination and, and mentality that gets players like that, sort of that extra distance. I mean, Robbie Savage is was a prime example of a footballer who wasn't, he would admit himself, you know, the, the most technical footballer, but made a fantastic career out of determination and being really awkward to play against. I always a bit of soft spot for a player like that because it's a contrast, isn't it? It's top level of the game on non-league. It's the the contrast of attributes that we, we kind of love football for. The fact that you've got silky wingers and, and really good passers and then you've got sort of enforcers in defensive midfield and at the back and you've got speed players and you've got side players. And if every player was sort of a 7 out of 10 at everything, it'd be really boring. But I've always got a soft spot for somebody that just worked really, really hard for the team.
1: Yeah, I mean, with Hull, It felt like at Norwich, it all kind of came together perfectly. I mean, I imagine his relationship with Paul Lambert must have been really strong and seemed like a case of once he started scoring goals, he never really looked back. It didn't really matter if they were in League One, the Championship, the Premier League. He just felt comfortable enough at Coward Road to make it happen. I mean, there was one season in the Premier League in particular where he was really good, wasn't he? Maybe like scored 15 goals, maybe even more. Um, I think there was
0: talk even about him potentially getting an England cap at some point in sort of the midst of that for him.
1: I feel like there was a point for Holt that, yeah, obviously the peak was Norwich and then everything after that, like he'd obviously he'd worked so hard, he'd, he'd kind of reached that pinnacle and then it just was never quite the same again. But yeah, it's, it's, it is kind of interesting, these kind of Lambert Holtz. I don't know if Deeney played non-league, but he's sort of in that, that category of these players that are just workhorses and maybe not the most technically gifted, but they've just... They're just willing to put everything into it, and then yeah, it's quite nice when you see a few of them actually getting some success in um, the top division. That tactic seems to work,
2: whatever league you're in, whether it be Sunday League or the Premier League, or you know, you almost see it in, in international football as well, don't you? That sort of. I mean, you wouldn't quite put a, an Emil Heskey into that sort of bracket, but but quite, you know, goal scorers that maybe aren't out and out finishers, but work hard and will sacrifice something for the team, and just be really awkward to play against. I mean, Peter Crouch in a slightly different ways has always been that as well. Just those sort of players seem to be effective at whatever level of football you're, you're looking at. Defences still seem to not be able to figure them out. I think that's something that Vardy's always been able to do. He's just been hard-working and quick and good to play off the shoulder. and You can do that in the Northern Premier League. You seem to be able to do that in an England shirt and in the Premier League as well. And it makes the levels seem quite comparable and, and makes you realise that actually there isn't that much between the levels sometimes.
3: From a fan's point of view, that's kind of especially relatable but f- for that reason, because we'd like to think, oh, it kind of indulges that fantasy or maybe we could have been or we could be somehow at that level because Grant Holt's doing it. So why not me? But also from the point of view where it's this guy has clearly taken the long way, the long route to the top. And so it's just appreciating and making the most of every minute he's there. And you can see that in the way he plays and the fact that he is preparing himself to be as effective as possible. And that's maybe slightly more relatable than, you know, a kid who might be more talented and all of these things, who is at such an elite level that he's kind of in a Premier League academy and then first team from a very young age. When we can see the trajectory from the bottom to the top, it's refreshing in a way because it happens less and less nowadays.
0: Yeah, almost Uh Grant Holt to be giving like a seminar in a few years, one of those motivational speakers, like you can be a Premier League footballer if you take these five steps. You can also be a professional wrestler too, if you'd like, because I did it. <laughs> anyway, Joe, I think I think you've got, we'll move on maybe from Grant Holt.
1: Yeah, I, I do have another player to share. This next player I'm going to talk about, it's hard to believe really, but a player who started his professional career at Welling United would go on to win the Champions League. But in the case of Steve Finnan, this is exactly what happened. And I suppose I'm cheating a bit because he was in the academy at Wimbledon originally, but his first you know, his first ever professional game was at Welling, and he would go on to play for them over 40 times back when um, the National League was known as the Conference. And then from there, he did have a few moves in the Football League. He went to Birmingham, Notts County, and Premier League with Fulham before joining um, Liverpool. And he, in his time at Liverpool, he was their starting right back, as I said, he went on to win the Champions League with them, which is obviously the biggest achievement you can do as a footballer. But he also played 50 times for his country too, Republic of Ireland, and even managed to head off to Spain and play for Espanyol. So this is a guy that had such a fantastic career with a lot of stories. And just to add something else on top of all of this, on Peter Crouch's podcast recently, he um, cited Steve Finnan as one of his kind of main allies at Liverpool who would be brilliant at whipping those balls into the box for um, Crouch to score his trademark headers. What I'm interested in from everybody is, is Steve Finn a player whose career was underappreciated in a way or am I being unfair and actually was he at the time widely acknowledged for being the great player that he clearly was? I think that he was underrated because
0: I think Liverpool weren't that good. You know, especially when you look at where they are now. I mean, relatively speaking, they weren't that good. And he kind of was a bit of an under-the-radar type player, but solid. And you reference Crouch kind of talking about whipping in those balls. Finnan was probably, if anything, I mean, as a right-back, you can kind of get away with it. But He was very right-footed, but he had a brilliant right foot, especially for kind of shaping those crosses into the box. He wasn't blisteringly quick But he had an engine and he was a decent athlete. And I think, again, going back to that kind of like non-league sentiment that you can carry with you through to the top, is that he was committed and he never gave up. And um, he was one of those players who I can imagine Crouch saying, like, dependable lead. You'd probably want him in your team. I don't know what you guys think about Steve Binnen.
2: I think any player that, that has played that many times for well Liverpool and Fulham in the Premier League, and if you're picking up a Champions League medal... I, I'm not sure. I think you automatically kind of enter, especially the Liverpool player and you pick up a, a Champions League medal. You're automatically into a Hall of Fame, aren't you, within lots so of fans mind and you're forever going to be rated for, for that. But I, he was a really good player, wasn't he? A really good player at that era. Maybe maybe in, in a modern era would struggle slightly more with what a, a fullback is expected to do now in terms of being a lot more attack-minded. If, at, if you look at what Robertson and, and Trent Alexander-Arnold do for Liverpool now, I'm not quite sure he has that in his locker. It seems to be a lot more about attacking and dribbling and, and a huge amount about pace these days if you're a, a fullback for sort of a, a top six, top four side. But, but for the club he was at at the time when, yeah, Liverpool weren't the only Liverpool that they are at the moment, he, he was really effective for them. And yeah, I think I, I'm sure he's rated pretty highly in the minds of certainly Liverpool fans and Liverpool players.
0: I think if he'd spent a good amount of time there, in terms of his style of play and just how good he was, like he's not dissimilar to Gary Neville in some senses, but I think he had a bit more about him going forward than Neville. Maybe not as much the other way defensively, but in some ways, yeah, he was kind of just like an Irish Gary Neville.
1: I was thinking kind of Kieran Trippier as well. Someone who's brilliant at crosses. I mean, he's probably maybe he was a bit better at defending, but yeah, certainly not that attacking wing back. Well, not a wing back in the sense he can run up down the flanks all day, but yeah. Just going off what Crouch said, I'm assuming he could whip a ball into the box pretty well.
3: Yeah, I think I'm right in saying that he was voted into the PFA team of the year in his last season at Fulham, which, given the competition at the time for that right-back spot, I mean, you mentioned Gary Neville, you had Lauren at Arsenal, was it Melchiot at Chelsea, you know, several other decent players in there. That's quite an achievement. I'm not sure that happened so much, and it wasn't a great Fulham side, um, or as good as it would become. But yeah, when he joined Liverpool, he was probably one of the more dependable players, but less fashionable a name than like other defenders they had at the time. You know, Risa Carragher, Hippier. Finnan probably is the you know least well known of that group. But I think speaking to Liverpool fans, it's felt among them that he is underrated by non Liverpool fans.
1: Interesting. Well, Oli, earlier on we did ask you for your predictions on the um, National League playoff finals, but I do have. Well, I want to get one more prediction out of you. And this is actually sort of related to what we were just talking about now. So we've spoken about Grant Holt and Steve Finnan. But in your opinion, are there any players that you've seen currently playing in non-league, probably in the National League, that you think have the potential to maybe recreate a Finnan or Holt story? Anyone that you think that you've seen in non-league that will rise to the top of the footballing pyramid?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's plenty. If you look at that Barrow team, that have gone up. There's plenty of them. I think will make a good go of it as football league players. And Harrogate or Melts County, probably not County now that I've backed Harrogate. I would say a young Pat Boram Wood called Sword Thomas is a 20-year-old fullback who is is certainly one to watch. In the, very much in the kind of current mould of, of attacking fullbacks, wingers essentially who can you know do a bit of defensive work. But he's a superb, lightning quick, really good dribbler. Already becoming. Their main focal point. Um, I think he's one to watch. So, yeah, Sorba Thomas is, I think, will be
1: a Football League player within a couple of years. We'll be looking out for him keenly.
0: It's time for Hawaii, which lets? The game where you guys have to guess a team starting lineup from years and years ago, beginning with just the fixture information, and then I'll be throwing in clues as and when. We're gonna be focusing on games between non-league teams and Premier League opponents in the FA Cup. To make it easier on you, I'll be after the Premier League teams starting eleven from that day. So first, I'm looking for Manchester United's lineup. Back in twenty eleven, they faced off against Crawley Town at Old Trafford and beat them one-nil. Looking for you guys to name goalkeepers through to the striker. I'll start off with the goalie.
1: Was it Anders Lindegaard? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good, yeah. Well done, well done. <laughs> 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 I just thought, you know, it's not, it's not going to be Edwin van der Sar, so who was, who was probably the backup goalie. And fortunately, it appears it was Anders.
3: I'm going to hopefully kill two birds with one stone and say the name De Silva
0: and maybe get one or two of them in there. Yeah, I won't ask you who was playing right back and who was playing left back, but I'll tell you that Raphael and Fabio were the backs that day. So yeah, you got two, you got two more, Yanni. There's some great names in here, by the way.
2: <laughs> Moving um, slightly further out of the pitch, it feels like a sort of game that Anderson would have been, would have been used Yeah, for. yeah.
0: Anderson was in there <laughs> alongside a couple other good centre midfielders. So I don't really know what the formation was that day, but um, he's in there, so you've got that. Was
1: Darren yeah. Gibson involved?
0: Yeah, Darren Gibson. <laughs> this, is, you know, this is peak Darren Gibson. It was all downhill from there, but um, he's... Yeah. yeah. Uh, Darren Fletcher? He hasn't made the team.
2: Part G sung at that point.
0: He's not on the pitch. Louis Saha up top. Saha's not in there, but they do have a Frenchman up top who I typically wouldn't classify as a striker, but they've got kind of
1: oh. a French forward. I know you're talking about Gabriel Aubertan.
0: Yeah, Gabriel Aubertan <laughs> did. Did people forget that he did play for Manchester United? For yeah. uh,
1: he was actually quite good for them, if I remember. I uh,
0: don't know if you remember that too accurately, Joe. <laughs> I, I,
1: remember, I remember watching him being like, oh, this guy. But yeah, clearly I, I was wrong. Um, centre backs. I'm trying to think yeah. if Phil Jones and Smalling would have joined by them, but there you go. Were, were Jones and Smalling the centre No, no, it's, but these guys are
0: United legends and they actually shared a quite similar career trajectory.
3: Oh, do they both move to Sunderland within the year or something? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I,
0: think, I think you could just carry on with that tangent that you're going on, Yanni. What, what were you so going to say?
3: John O'Shea and Wes Brown.
0: Yeah, Wes Brown was captaining United that day. So you guys have the back four the goalkeeper and a few of the midfielders and strikers. I'm looking for the other striker and uh, two more midfielders. Sammy Bebe? Yeah, Yanni. Bebe was one of the wingers who famously used to be homeless before United signed him, apparently.
2: Are we talking Macheda at that point?
0: Ooh, Kiko Macheda. The Italian forward is not there, but another quite memorable forward for United was playing. He has bounced around quite a lot. He's played for another Premier League team. He's played in Germany. He's played in Spain. He he plays in America now.
1: Oh, and Chicharito.
0: Yeah, the little P. Javier Hernandez, Chicharito was up top with Obertan. So at this point, there's one player and he's still on the books at United, but he's not a player anymore. Carrick. There you go. Michael Carrick was alongside Anderson and sort of Gibson to some extent in that game. All right, that's, that's the lineup. I've got one more for you guys. You did quite well on that, actually. This one I think might be a little more difficult. And what I'm looking for is Norwich's starting lineup when they played against Luton in twenty thirteen. And it was a one-nil victory at Carrow Road for Luton. Oh. So this Norwich side lost and Luton at that point were a non league club. Was this twelve thirteen or thirteen fourteen? I believe it was twelve thirteen.
1: I'm just gonna Alexander Tetty must have been playing because he no, was there that
0: No, time. for some
1: reason he wasn't playing
0: actually. Oh. I think God. they thought that they That's could beat Luton wrong. and then they didn't. So they were like let's rest Tetti. <laughs>
1: oh, God. Um, was, was our main man Grant Holt up front?
0: No, no, there's um, actually uh, one of the strikers up front is, is a brilliant one. So I, I'll, I'll leave that for later potentially, but it's quite an unusual one up front.
1: John, What's this,
2: frustrating this, is that at Kenilworth Road in Luton's Ground, they've got a massive cutout of the, uh, the newspaper clipping. Match report of this game in the, the players landed Luton. I've looked at it before and I can't remember a single player that was involved in that game um, from a Norwich point of view. Um, but it's certainly, one, it's certainly one that Luton fans and Luton players like to remember. It was a big upset, aren't they? Um, that doesn't help me remember um, who else was playing there. I'll tell Ru- you, this Russell one,
0: yeah, he's captaining the side at right back. Is John Ruddy in goal? No. Actually, there's not it would have fun. been Norwich's like other keeper that season. Who I not fun. no, um, I might have to end up giving you this one because oh, no, the not... other is it Rudd? Someone yeah, yeah, Rudd, yeah, got it. Declan Rudd. Well done, right. Yoni.
1: There we go. So we've got Martin Declan Rudd. I'll tell you, there's um, two,
0: play- two players in the squad who have the same last name, but don't think about that too hard because it might side rail you. But if you get one, I'll tell you, and then you'll get the other.
3: Oh, although oh, there, there were two players who know oh, had what the same man? last name.
0: Steve Morrison. No, the Norwich and Millwall legend Steve Morrison is not up top. Where is Houlihan? No.
3: Luciano Becchio?
0: <laughs> no. Anthony Pilkington? No. All right, I'm going to have to start throwing out some clues. And
1: right. um, what's he called? Johnny Halson. <laughs>
0: Howson. Johnny Halson's in midfield. Yeah, okay. Um, Leon Barnett. Leon Barnett, yeah, well, my clue for that was going to be that he actually used to play for Luton, Leon Barnett. But, yeah, you've got that, Leon Barnett's in there. Oh,
3: were there two Bennetts?
0: Yeah, go on, Yanni. Oh, Elliot Bennett? Is that a name? And and I think, Joe, did you say Ryan Bennett?
1: Yeah, Ryan Bennett and Elliot Bennett would have been the two. There you go. The left-back
0: was signed from Manchester City, and he's Spanish, and he used to play for Real Tossier
1: Javier Garrido.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it's quite strange to think that you played for Norwich. All right, so now at this point, it's the strikers and two midfielders that you're looking for. Simeon Jackson? Yeah, the Canadian. Simeon Jackson was up top.
3: Bradley Johnson?
0: No, although I think he was in the squad. Uh, For one of the midfielders, he's a left-footed player and he's played for Southampton, Bournemouth and Norwich, most notably. Sermon. Sermon. Andrew Sermon, well done, Joe. The central midfielder is probably the most obscure one. His last name is a creature that it's debatable whether or not you should be allowed to hunt it in england fox yeah what's his first name D- danny i think it was david or danny but yeah one of those so we'll g- we'll give you fox. that it's just one striker at this point guys it would be easy to forget that he played for norwich because he was only on loan there
3: oh is it the guy who jumped really high and that was his thing no. Kai Kamara.
1: It's
0: actually one of the best strikers in world football. Harry
1: Kane. It's Harry Kane. Oh.
0: It? Well done, Joe. Yeah, it's quite strange to think that Harry Kane uh, played in a 0 <laughs> 1 defeat to Luton Town for Norwich back in 2013 and is <laughs> now saying... arguably the best striker in the world.
1: Norwich is the only team he never scored for as well. Oh, right.
0: well, I mean, you're not going to break through that Luton back line, apparently. Uh, <laughs> yeah, unlucky Harry Kane. Well, well done, guys. <laughs>
1: Earlier on, we spoke about players who had humble beginnings in non-league before going on to rise up the ranks um, to the Premier League. But now it's time to look at the reverse scenario. And I'm going to start with a player who is very topical at the moment. And that player is John Stead. So John Stead actually started his career at Huddersfield, which was his hometown club, but then he moved to the Premier League with Blackburn as a 20-year-old, and from my memory he was actually quite good for Blackburn, and would then, after Blackburn, go on to play in the Premier League for Sunderland and Sheffield United too, albeit not in particularly good sides. He then played for a load of uh, championship teams, including Ipswich, Bristol City, but on Sunday, it's where it gets interesting because John Stead is in the Harrogate Town squad um, and they're up against Notts County, which is actually the team he'd been playing for for the last three seasons, four seasons previous um, to this one. So he's up against his former club in probably Harrogate Town's biggest game ever. What, a, what an occasion for Stead to maybe get the winning goal. Um, but I've got a question for Ollie on... Um, on John Stead and I'm just really interested um, how Stead's been doing in the National League has he has he been playing much or is he more of kind of a, a senior head to kind of guide the, um, the younger players there?
2: Yeah I think more, more of the latter um, I saw him he came on for Harrogate I saw him play at the weekend he sort of came on with 20 to go and, and held the ball up well and had one shot that he sort of narrowly put wide he's, he's clearly a really useful player at that level still, and he, he made an impact in Notts County as well um, in the last couple of seasons. He's yeah a bit of a player to an extent, but he's 37 now, I think, John Stead. But, yeah, certainly going to Wembley, that will be been an interesting one. Also, what's interesting about that fixture is that those two still have to play each other in the, the FA Trophy from oh. last season they haven't finished um, over two legs. So, potentially, that's going to be played before the start of next season. So, they may well play each other three times in the next sort of three, four, five weeks. Um, God. But yeah, back yeah, to John. So fantastic professional and, and great to see a player that still really loves the game enough to still keep playing because I always think if you've you played the game at sort of the top level in the Premier League, if you, if you enter your 30s and you're never to be dropping down in divisions, it'd be quite easy to call it a day and, and hang up your boots. And I've always got a, a great admiration for players like that that are. willing to keep playing and clearly still love the game enough that they're not as worried about what level they're playing at they just want to play and and probably pass on quite a lot of their knowledge to some of the other younger players they've got some really good effective strikers at, at Harrogate and he's one of those but he's no doubt helping those as well in their development
0: yeah I remember John said you know obviously I think most famously back in his time at Blackburn Uh, where he sort of burst onto the scene a little bit or at least into people's living rooms and uh, he he was a good player he had talent didn't work out at Blackburn I remember most fondly his time at Sheffield United actually in the season that they were relegated the whole like Tevez fiasco when they tried to sue uh, West Ham but I think he was, he was really good that season. He's a committed guy, very clearly. Sheffield United were a very committed team that season, and that was the type of football that they were playing, and he, he kind of fit, fed into that. So I wouldn't be surprised if he has quite a decent amount to offer at non-league level, given the kind of physicality.
3: Yeah, and he's 37. He's just one of those players who's sort of forever young in my mind because I guess that's when he burst through and then did sort of slip down the leagues a little bit um, and didn't hold that prominence um, at the top level for the whole time, but yeah, I mean, the longevity is a testament to his professionalism and his
0: career. I feel like there was a point when he was a bit of a running joke for a moment, Johnstead. I'm not going to lie, like in the Premier League, because he was so highly rated and his numbers for Blackburn just did not
1: back it up whatsoever. I think he, the seasons before um, before Derby had that awful year, Sunderland had a terrible year where they went down. I think he was maybe signed that season. And I think he was awful, uh, much like that team. I think he wasn't very good. So I think maybe... From that period on, he kind of became known as a bit of yeah, a, a dud Premier League striker. But he, yeah, his career has been great. And it would be quite nice a nice story on Sunday for him um, to go up with Harrogate, albeit at the expense of um, a famous old team like Notts County.
3: Yeah, and, uh, another player who played at the highest level and has had quite a fascinating career trajectory um, is Julio Arca, whose career can really be described as a love affair between a man who was born in the sort of suburbs of Buenos Aires in the northeast of England, a very unlikely story. He was first seen by Peter Reed in a England friendly at Craven Cottage, an under 21 friendly against Argentina and decided to bring him over to Sunderland after a few years there. And a couple of relegations later, I think possibly in that same team as John Stead, he moved to Middlesbrough was actually Gareth Southgate's first signing as a manager. And Loved it so much there that he sort of willingly offered before his contract had expired to take a pay cut to stay on there longer. Um, And he was released, but then Tony Mowbray signed him back immediately on a lower wage. After that, he played for Willow Pond, which is a pub team in the Northeast um, for a year or two before moving back up to non-league and South Shields, where in the final three or four years of his playing career, Achieved three prom- promotions with them and three cup wins, including a trip to Wembley for the FA Vars, which is some achievement, really. There's also a story where I think in 2004 he was stung by jellyfish in the North Sea, which again just adds to this like mystery and myth around his whole time there, um, and is now coaching Sunderland's under 14 side. I looked it up now, and you can also. Pay for his playing services um, at the moment on pay for a led. play with a legend He is available to join your five or eleven aside or I don't know children's birthday party at a fee. Um, if you want to play with Julio Arca, then it's possible. Um, but it just seems to me sort of such an oddly romantic, weird, unlikely story between him and this particular part of the world and. I don't know. Are there any other examples of something similar you can think of? Or do you remember him as a player in the Premier League? Because I, I don't really.
2: That's, I think we want to know how much it's going to cost him to, <laughs> to get him playing the, the Power League team. That's, that's incredible. Maybe maybe not quite so bizarre. Can I give a mention to, to Jamie Curiton, who's a, oh. a fantastic player who, who burst onto the scene and, and scored in the Premier League for Norwich back in, in 94, 95, I think, and is still playing now, one of uh, the age of. 44, 45, I think he is now one of one of only a handful of players across the, the world that never played a thousand competitive games. He's he signed for Enfield FC this season in the fifth level of, of non-league football. But he's he's the only player in England to have scored in all of England's top nine tiers of football. So all the way down from the, the Premier League to the Championship League, one league two, the National League, National League South, all the way down to ISPIN Premier, Istmin Division One. And, and now for Enfield in the, the ninth tier, um, incredible achievement for a player who who bursts onto the scene as you know. Sometimes so often we see these sort of young prospects uh, come through a Premier League team and look to make an impact, and then sort of go off the rails, or, or perhaps through no fault of their own pick up injuries and don't quite make it, but then retire quite young. To have that sort of love of the game that you're sort of living your career in reverse, slightly a player like that, aren't you? You're, you're sort of doing a reverse Jamie Vardy sort of <laughs> back down the league into non-league, but still loving the game enough, still loving scoring goals enough and to keep on playing and down in the depths of non-league is, is fantastic. So, so Jamie Curiton, he's also done a fair bit of management as well in non-league. He's is, is one I think is always worth mentioning.
1: I am. I'm a big fan of Curiton because I went to Exeter University and had the pleasure of um seeing him banging a lot of goals at St. James's Park. But um yeah, keep, love Jamie Curiton. Happy you mentioned him. But um. Go back to Arca as well. The thing I do remember about him was just having a really good left foot and just score. He scored really good goals. So you could imagine in like a non league game, he wouldn't even have to run around. He could be like almost pillow of non-league or something just like whipping balls all over the place and just that uh, you know causing absolute chaos with that foot. it's quite
0: bizarre like yeah like you mentioned you a know, lad from south america just kind of falling in love with the north, northeast of england and deciding obviously he loves football as well otherwise he wouldn't be playing like non-league at this point but like arca like you said like there's players who play in the premier league and they're not particularly renowned for anything but as you mentioned joe he had a good left foot and he scored bangers like he's he's a notable guy he's a memorable guy can only imagine lining up against someone like that. And then for Curiton, my, like, peak Curiton memories are him and Randy, when he was playing with Chris Iwilumo at Colchester. Oh, like, yeah. What a strike partnership that was. Um, I think Curiton probably even went I, – I didn't know he played for Norwich back then. He, he must have come full circle because I think they signed him later on in his career as well, and he was good for them again. He's, just, he's clearly a bit of a, yeah, fan favorite at Carrow Road, uh, probably like Grant Holt. We'll have to try and get Grant Holt and Jamie Curiton on the pod next time. <laughs> We have come to the end of today's podcast. I do want to thank my co host Joe and as well Yoni. Thank you guys so much. And I want to say a special thank you to Ollie for joining us today. Ollie, do you have any projects that are upcoming and how can our listeners follow you?
2: Uh, nothing major to plug at the moment, really. Well, I do a non league show on local radio, BBC Three, Counties Radio, that, that's coming back hopefully with the new scenes that's off there at the moment. But I'll keep people posted about that hopefully back in September. So the best place to follow me is. On social media, Twitter, Ollie underscore Baylis. Facebook, I've just started doing non-league news on Facebook. Same sort of thing. I'm on Instagram, but I don't really understand it. It's for all, <laughs> all the young kids. I'm nowhere near Snapchat. I
0: don't understand that at all. Brilliant. Thanks again, Ollie. Really appreciate your time. And it was brilliant having you as a guest and all of your insight into non-league football. As far as our end of things, look out for us on Twitter at BlazersFGPod. Uh, Instagram and Facebook will be at Blazers for Goalposts. We're available across a bunch of streaming sort of mediums to listen to us, but we're now on tune in. So if you have an Amazon echo, feel free to tell your Alexa to play Blazers for Goldposts. Otherwise, that's it for today. Goodbye everyone.